0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with Dustin Smith. Still talking some Penn State UMass. We'll get a little bit into Penn State, Ohio State, since it is that Ohio State week already Dustin my friend how we doing
2: good man I mean this is this is the the time we've all been waiting for isn't it where you know all the information gathering that you can do kind of ad nauseum about this team you assess and reassess (laughs) and reassess and reassess and reassess and and reframe I mean all that's been going on especially with the offense Um, so now coming out of the bye I thought they looked really good and and sharp and businesslike and they took care of business uh, against uh, UMass, so that's a, as good a way, you know, that opponent and that point spread and, and how decisively you were bound to win that game, I don't think there was a whole lot more to achieve than what they did achieve in that game.
1: That's exactly it, and you know, you hit a, a motivation near and dear to my heart when you talk about the point spread, and yes, we're still riding that train, Dusty, so we we enjoyed that 63-point. Uh, spread with the game and you know what it's interesting uh, as you said heading up to Ohio State now all the analysis we've been doing all the previewing and I think I mentioned it to Jeff Byers I've been very careful to take both sides of each story just so no matter what happens I could claim I was right so
2: as as any good courageous man does right Thank you. That's exactly my point.
1: There,
2: <laughs> going out on a ledge. There.
1: All right. Let's let's talk a little bit. Penn State, UMass. First off, from that three thousand foot view, Dusty, give me your takes from this game.
2: So I have a few kind of written out. One was um, even though this is UMass and they were clearly very outmatched, you saw a whole bunch of examples of how athletically these guys did not belong on the same field as Penn state. Everybody knows that everybody knows Penn state paid them $1.6 million to come to town, but all that in mind uh, I, I feel like Penn state still got a little bit sharper in this one, you know, through their execution. I mean, you still have to play, you still have to execute your plays. Um, You still have to do all that. So I I thought that with, the assignment that they got a lot done in in this game. Uh, Daquan Hardy was the number one story from the game, I think. And, you know, those two punt return touchdowns, that's that's Jimmy's guy. I love me some Daquan Hardy, and he has looked fantastic so far this season. You know, he missed, what, two games, I think, and came back, and he's been a force in all those games. And there was a run here where he he had the punt return for a touchdown, and then he made – a big uh, pass breakup. I think it was on the very next drive for, for UMass. Like it, his name was called pretty often in this one. Uh, it, the two-point and- return touchdowns are the, uh, it's like the first time in Penn State history and it's it, it, it is a rare occurrence, put it that way.
1: And I just want to mention, before the first punt return, he made a play. He really strung out a play. There was like a wide receiver screen. He took on the one blocker who was there, forced the running back into you know, a position where the rest of the team could catch up. So, yeah, there were multiple places uh, where his name just kept getting mentioned.
2: And he, he's been he's been great all year, hasn't he? I mean, we have seen him stick in coverage. Uh, and not that you don't talk about him going into the year, but obviously the, he's not the starting point. You know, Kaelin King has always been the starting point. And then even this past week, James Franklin was insistent that J, uh, Johnny Dixon wasn't getting enough attention. And then you have Daquan Hardy, their number three cornerback. I mean, this is, you know, when it comes to playmaking and all that, that one, two, three at cornerback, is, I mean, it's got to be one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country.
1: Well, uh, two points to that, Dusty. And it, first of all, it's it's a good topic, and you're correct on that. I believe I, I haven't seen every set of cornerbacks in the country, so to say to that, that I can't imagine a group being any better than them. The second thing is watching DaQuan Hardy in coverage. I, I wonder if sometimes opponents think I could just throw it. It's a matchup we like. Our receiver is yeah. bigger than him because how often do we see the replay? And Daquata Hardy, from the line of scrimmage to the point where the pass is uh, there and broken up,
2: he's all over the receiver. Absolutely. It looks like he's running the same route. It looks like he's running the same route as the receiver.
1: Yes. And multiple times I say, What do you do? What are you thinking, quarterback? He's covered, but maybe someone they're looking, they're seeing. Hey, I've got one-on-one coverage
2: with this little guy. I can throw it up, and they'll go get it. But which poison? No, which poison are you going to pick? You know, and 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 keep in mind. I mean. The, the heavy, heavy duress that you're trying to assess this cornerback situation under, you know, you, you have to pick a battle somewhere along the line and you are probably unlikely to win any of the one, three one on one matchups. And, you know, Daquan Hardy just been phenomenal as a, as a nickel guy. Uh, I'm really happy for him, you know, to, to be in the process of capping his career this way. And like, I think he's going to be a pretty good NFL player for a while.
1: Well, Dusty, you know that I'm extra happy for it. One of my man crushes is Daquan Hardy. And I've always felt that from out of high school. Remember, he was kind of a late pickup. He had that tremendous state playoff game. And from that moment on, I'm like, I like this guy. Yeah. The other thing I want to point out is when you're talking about the cornerbacks, you mentioned those three. What about Cam Miller?
2: Yeah, I mean they they have talked about Cam for a while. They put it into action last year. The fact that he burned his red shirt kind of said what what they thought as as a coaching staff about him. And you know he what do you have two sacks in the in this game? I mean he he certainly brings his share of uh, of upside too. And so yeah, you go one two three four. Boy, I mean, it's just hard to get a lot better than than that group, and you have some growth ahead there. I mean, what you need, uh, not to look too far ahead, but it's like those three guys are probably all gone. I'm guessing after after this year, so Penn State's gonna have to reload, and it'll be Cam Miller time uh, in that prime role next year.
1: And yeah, I'm not sure. Does Johnny Dixon have another year?
2: I think he might have another year left, but I, I don't. You know, we'll see if he uses it or not.
1: But the um, other thing I want to mention is how much Kalen King and Johnny Dixon were not mentioned on Saturday. Do you recall hearing either one of their names other than the pregame? Oh, you got to watch out for Kalen King and Johnny Dixon. During the game, were their names even mentioned?
2: Well, how many throws were made by a UMass quarterback that had a sincere uh probability of being received by someone. You know, that was the thing. Like they're they threw for 45 yards, Jim. You know, seven seven sacks, nine completions in, in this game. I don't know how they, they just they weren't getting the ball close to anybody down the field at all. So, you know, just Daquan Hardy, he he made his name with uh with the punt returns and they're, you know, pass breakup here, but yeah, this was not the, the team or the offense to, to really test to any of those guys.
1: And, Dusty, I realize we have just kind of thrown our script out the window for oh, today's yeah. show. And just just felt- like last week. Yes. And it this almost feels like the Chris Farley skit.
2: Wasn't that great? Remember when that happened? Remember when? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> What else do you get? What else do you say when they're sixty-three nothing? I I do have three more observations that we can get back on script there. But okay, go go ahead with the observations then. Would you say? And I would say, like, I don't think it was great big leaps, but uh, I come out of this game feeling a little bit encouraged about uh, creating bigger plays on the ground and getting the passing game. Uh, in the right direction. Like I think Trey Wallace returning, you know, I said it last week, one of the positives, right? Remember, (laughs) remember all the, the many positives uh, is that maybe Trey Wallace really holds the key to the passing game. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's true or not true at this point, but man, he had some moments where he flashed big time, you know, the way that he moves in that size, uh, maybe he really is. Uh, they're maybe their most talented wide receiver, I think is, is a good thing to say at this point, not more productive than Keandre Lambert Smith, but he is, uh, physically, I think a little bit more impressive.
1: Well, you know what? I'm tempted to create a, um, Jim's man crush show edition of our show. And you know, I've been on the Trey Wallace thing for quite a while. And, yeah, I think he makes a huge difference in it show, Dusty, when I kept harping after the West Virginia game. Eight targets, seven completions to him, right? Yeah. This one was four targets, three completions, and the one incompletion was that deep pass down the sideline that was, man, it was that close to a huge play. He definitely had separation, though. I think he's not just a tip... I think it's a major uh, upgrade for the receiving group, Dusty.
2: So coming out of a bye with him healthy, I mean, he's somebody who can actually threaten uh, defensive backs. So that is a, a big step in the right direction. And as I said last week, it allows everybody to file in probably where they should. You know, I don't think you're you don't want to ask Dante Cephas to be your second best wide receiver, or Malik McLean or Liam Clifford or even Caden Saunders. But if you have that one, two, I think the rest kind of start, starts to sort itself out. Um, the Penn State defense obviously, you know, it was child's play against UMass, you know, like all those defensive ends just ruined everybody's day. And I, you know, I, I saw uh, Bob Flounders, our, our old friend, um, Express some legitimate concern for the well-being of UMass's quarterback because of that. You know, it was just it was just such a mismatch. Um, and I, I think you know the last thing I would want to say is, you know, I think the coaching staff coming out of the bye against the team that you're clearly going to roll over. Yeah, the offense had the fumble and the punt uh, in their first two drives, and I don't think in a perfect world you wouldn't be waiting until. Eight minutes into the game to really threaten against an Ohio State or a Michigan, so there's that. But otherwise, this team was ready. They were pretty sharp. They played clean. They had, I think, a little bit a hit more aggression in a lot of the things that they were doing. I think kind of gearing up for next week. So I think from a coaching staff perspective, they they had these guys in the right frame of mind and physically they were ready to play.
1: I I think so too, Dusty. However, I want to start uh, segment two with some conversation about that slow start, because I I have some thoughts on that. And I also feel that, you know, if we're going to talk about those two first drives, you also got to follow it up by saying the next seven possessions, they score touchdowns. Correct. Yes. And and I think that that is relevant to our story here. And, but I do want to talk about those slow starts and I'm not sure I'm quite as concerned as I think a lot of other people are. And I do think they were prepared. They seem to be opening things up a bit more. We will talk about all of that in quarter number two. Stick around.
2: Hey, Penn State fans, here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their lion's den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today.
3: Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. It's quarter number two. We're still talking Penn State UMass. And I want to pick things up where we left off, Dusty. And uh, you were talking about our good friend, Ben. uh, Bob and he, Bob Flounders, who talked about the quarterback being in danger. Well, if there was a reason why that UMass quarterback was in danger, that right tackle. Oh, my goodness. He got beaten so badly by any kind of speed rush. He he didn't have a chance. And just a little preview. We we had uh, Landon Tengwall joining us now. And we were chatting about the difference between playing guard and tackle. We weren't talking specifically about the UMass right tackle. And he talked about the quick feet you need at tackle. That right tackle did not have quick feet, Dusty.
2: No, or if if they were quick, they were in buckets full of cement or something. Um, You know, like and you kind of feel bad for him. Like, he... He should have never been in that position in a perfect world, but this is where college football is. You know, you take UMass's number seventy-two, you give that that program a one point six million dollar paycheck, and now suddenly you have him trying to block Chop Robinson, who's going in the first round of the draft. I mean, it went exactly how you thought it, it would go. Uh, For for that kid. And it was just abuse. And, you know, it's one of the rare positions in all of sports where if you don't do your job at a high level, you can get somebody hurt. You can, you know, allow a big play. You can a strip sack or whatever. So he had to have been feeling awful about the damage being done to the quarterback that he is trained to protect. Uh, because he had no prayer of blocking Adisa Isaac or Chop Robinson or Deny Dennis Sutton. He had no shot. He could barely he was he was barely out of his stance, and Adisa Isaac had the quarterback on the ground. I mean, he just was not, he certainly not an FBS offensive tackle. I don't think an FCS offensive tackle, and I have my doubts he's a Division II offensive tackle, but maybe. He could be a standout of Division Three. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know the story of UMass's offensive line where where that kid uh, got put in this situation. But I can't imagine it's his first or his last, as long as he remains in that position.
1: <laughs> All right, fair enough, Dusty. All right, let's also let's talk about this offense. You talked about it making incremental steps in this game. I'm beginning to turn a little bit in my analysis of it that it's better than I think we give them credit for some of this where they're taking hits for the not having the big plays, the explosive plays. And I think we would all like to see it. I'm sure James Franklin would like to see it. I'm sure Corey Geiger would like to see it. (laughs) Yeah. I think in this game, they were looking for that more often but how often, Dusty, over the years have we watched games and whether it was Sean Clifford or anyone else at quarterback, and you see them looking deep and they throw it and you look and see there was double coverage there. The, that theory of, hey, just do it anyway if they're covered. Yeah. But what Drew Aller does is if there's good coverage, he says, I'm not going to do that. And if you watch, there was a specific play. He's looking downfield. He had time, and it was obvious. Hey, nobody is there. Check down. picked up eight yards on first down. It's now second and two, and guess what? You could go deep again now because it's second and two, if you so choose. So I'm wondering about if all of these long drives that are ending up in scores, it's because – they're not being put in the position where it's second and 10 because, well, I took a flyer that one out of, you know, 10 times it would have a completion because my guy outfought the defender. I'll take my chances with second and two.
2: Well, I mean, what you're describing is the very issue at stake that we've been discussing for a while. And it's like, you know, the, the complaint, if you kind of boil it down, uh, is, is basically saying like, I want my quarterback to take more reckless chances. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's what you're kind of asking. And I think there's, there's a hint of the coaching staff, not, you know, wanting or, or needing to, to really push it, to take risks in any of the games. I mean, uh, you, you know, I, I made this point. Somewhere before I I, I say and write so many things and a lot of them are stupid. Like a lot of things I say anyway, so it all blends together. But, um, you know, you're going to have to change the risk reward dynamic in in some of these games. Ohio State and Michigan, for sure. You're going to have to take more chances. But, you know, the way that this team is built and the fact that the defense has been basically 100 percent and having the offenses back. Uh, whatever position that might be in, you know, yeah, the 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 fumble by Nick Singleton on the kickoff a few weeks ago, and and the defense was right there and picked Nick Singleton up, you know, that like it's easy is the way that this defense plays, you know, it's hard not to play complementary football with them, but the one thing you can do is keep having three and outs and keep having uh, turnovers or whatever, you know, I, I don't think that this model of Penn State's team uh i don't i don't think it does make a lot of sense to get you know reckless just to create explosion uh you are much better served and and you know i think this factors into the slow start conversation i think we were due to have soon anyway it's like you know if if the offense doesn't get going for a couple drives uh yeah, it's not an ideal thing, but this defense has shown up from the first snap every single game. And it's hard to imagine that they're not going to. So it's like you you get bought a lot of margin for error uh, if you're the Penn State offense where you got this defense behind you. And I th- I, I really, truly believe that it's going to be the best unit on the field this weekend coming up too. It's going to be really, really competitive uh, for that same distinction against Michigan. You know, this this defense is elite, and it takes the ball away, and it creates plays behind the line of scrimmage. You do not have to be, uh, uh, you know, the offense doesn't have to be, you know, one play get off the field. It, it actually serves them well to keep, you know, some form of what they got going on. I, I, I want to see more running room, uh, and I would like to see more shots as a result of that. I think there, there's just something that, you know, defenses haven't had to fully respect that yet. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can argue with how successful it's been
1: either. And Dusty, I think part of this formula is having a quarterback who is so accurate that if I have to depend on him to march us down the field, you know, with 12 play drives, if I get to a third down and four or five, and he has to throw the ball. He's going to be accurate with that pass, not say one of those, oh, well, there's the quarterback, he missed his receiver, and now we punt. If you're dependent on Drew Aller to make an accurate pass five
2: to 10 yards down the field, he's going to do it. He has shown that. And, you know, Iowa is pretty much the pristine example of that. Drew Aller was razor sharp you know, hit, hitting those short throws. And, you know, like I, it does take, I think, a high-level quarterback to hit those throws and put them kind of right where they need to be, no matter how far down the field they are with such consistency. And what you didn't see, you didn't see the same level of sharpness or confidence uh, from him in those road games against Illinois and Northwestern. So now it's like – you, you're going the road to Ohio State. It's the it's the best, most talented team he'll have faced. The best defense he'll have faced. You're on the road again. It's a high magnitude game. I mean that that is really the the thing to be watching. I think this weekend, and I, and I I really do fully expect at some point in time, maybe it's now that Drew Aller learns every lesson available to him from Illinois and Northwestern and begins to apply it. Like I think that's the cool part of having you know, a quarterback like him is that it's easy to believe that he's making the mental strides too, because he, he does seem to put all the good work in. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him have that breakthrough game on the road, but that really is the difference. Like you're firing in all cylinders. If Drew Aller is automatic, you know, throwing the ball six, seven yards downfield, if he's a little tentative, like he was against Northwestern Illinois, that's when you sputter a little bit.
1: And my hope it. What you brought up about his struggles on the road, that is my biggest fear for next week against Ohio State. Because when he is sharp, as you said, they march down the field, and I'm going to say two contradictory things here. They don't make mistakes, but they do. When they do make, it takes a mistake, a blatant mistake for them to struggle. By that, I mean it's not just like... I was mentioning earlier about a quarterback. Oh, you know, they don't hit all of their passes. Well, Drew Aller, if they're open, pretty much does. And that's important. If you look at the drives where they get stopped, the um, Illinois game, uh, Malik McLean had two drops that would have been first downs, and that ended two drives. Okay. And and they weren't just, oh, he could have caught it. It was should have caught it. Right. And you could pick a couple other um, series that were the 15-yard personal foul penalty. That ends it. Uh, Trey Wallace with his fumble, that was a drive. It was already eight plays, 40 yards. They were moving the ball down the field. It took a blatant mistake for them not to continue. And by the way, the one time when they punted, Um, on third down, it was the one time, the one sack that they allowed, and it was a bad one, and it was a blatant mistake on the offensive line. So that's why I meant about being contradictory. When they're right, they're not making mistakes, and they're marching down the field. It is that on occasion when they do, that's when they don't score. And the last thought on this is: remember, they started slow against Iowa, but they also. Started at their own five yard line and were really limited what they could do, so yeah. maybe that's why I'm a little more forgiving on the slow starts, Dusty.
2: Well, and the defense is forgiving on the slow starts. That that's the most important thing. I mean, if, if the defense is doing what they're doing, you you know, you, you have that margin for error. And um, yeah, I think uh, the 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 difference with Ohio State, and we'll see if it's a good or a bad difference, is that you know, a it's not going to be. Uh, it's, you know the 11 a.m. local starts for Northwestern in Illinois when there's no crowd uh, and, and Drew Aller's kind of got time to think before he's thrown. I mean, I think this is going to be more, uh, more instinct and reaction and, you know, fast movements, fast thinking. That could help him play better on the road, I, th-
1: I think. And I think with Ohio State, I'd rather he play Ohio State first than Michigan. I think... The errors, the mistakes will be more blatant with Michigan, where with Ohio State, I think there's going to be a lot going on. If you think about last year's Penn State-Ohio State game, there was so much ebb and flow to it back and forth. I think that could happen with Ohio State. I'm not sure that could happen with Michigan. Dusty, that is it for quarter number two. Stick around. We got lots more to go in quarter three.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. He's Dusty. I'm Jim. We're still recapping Penn State UMass. And, Dusty, pretty early on, you had mentioned about you thought there was the uptick in the offense. I do, too. I thought this was the best combined running game from Nick Singleton and Catron Allen. And yes, neither one of them had that 50-yard run, but I thought they both ran well, especially Catron Allen. He really ran hard, carried people with them. I thought was really impressive. And second, on the receiver side, they made use of the tight ends. And I just feel like if, when you have Theo Johnson on the field, Tyler Warren on the field, Lambert Smith, and Trey Wallace, those four guys, that feels like your best combination of receivers, with each one of them being dangerous.
2: Yeah, that that's a that's your most threatening group, you know. And I think in this game against UMass, you know the the differences were Trey Wallace was back um, and and appeared to be a hundred percent healthy and was looked at often uh, by Drew Aller. So there's that dynamic when you're looking at, okay, how the, can the passing game be better? That's the most obvious thing. And then, you know, through the first five games, it was kind of a mystery why Theo Johnson hadn't done a little bit more than he had. And I think seeing him, you know, the, the big touchdown down the middle of the field, the, down the seam, you know, seeing him... Uh, make the play up the sideline and kind of, you know, the little acrobatic finish there. I mean, that's the Theo Johnson that can unlock more of this Penn state offense. So you see, you get that going, you get Trey Wallace back and it feels a little bit better. You you've worked the wider the, or the running backs into the receiving game, uh, you know, more and better. Uh, through through the first five games as well, so you have some things going for you there to help make up for the lack of proven depth at wide receiver. And then on on the running side of things, I did think you saw more energy and more juice from Tron Allen, almost like he was grateful to be back after you know a brush with injury a couple of weeks ago. Um, they averaged 6.6 yards per carry. And you're right, Nick Singleton and Ktron Allen didn't get that 40-50 yard run, but uh, Tank Smith did. <laughs> Maybe that's all you need, baby. Just a little a little bit of Tank. Boy, that the image of of seeing him streak through UMass' secondary I, I don't know what I don't really know what thoughts came to mind, but that was just that was fun. That was fun seeing that. But yeah, I think they had more juice in in the running game, and I think there's there's obvious reasons to be bigger believers in the passing game now than than even going into UMass.
1: I also want to point out because this is one of those things I will not give up on, Dusty. When Bo Prabula is in the game you have got to be so aware of him running the ball because let's face it. As soon as he comes in the game, what do you think is going to happen?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, and running with the quarterback mathematically is the best thing you can do. You know, you, the, the, numbers match up with that better than uh, a running back carrying it because you've got more, more people doing work. And James Franklin has been insistent on this. Jimmy, he, he has said for weeks now, you know, like we got, we're getting that on film. We're getting that on film. They got to account for Bo. Bo's dangerous. You got to watch him. And I think, you know, uh, the Northwestern game, he had that fake draw slash fake knee, according to some, uh, the, the passing touchdown to Trey Potts, a good throw down the middle of the field. Uh, and now in, in this game against UMass, you know, like he, he had juice too. And I know UMass made it look like a lot of guys had juice. You know, Daquan Hardy made made it look like UMass was standing still. <laughs> Daquan Hardy made it on those two punt returns, he made it look like like every UMass player was number seventy two, the right tackle. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I hate to oh, pick on it, it too much. I know. But uh but yeah, I, I think Bo Perbola, you know, making a 31 yard or 30 yard touchdown run, you know, it's on film. And now this time, if this week is really put up or shut up time, are you really just trying to get that on film or are you really trying to use that? I can't decide which at this point, but uh, to have a package where Bo Perbola comes onto the field and, and you run out of it, a wildcat type package could be pretty nice.
1: I would, I would like to see that. It would be fun, but I'm still going by the theory that tank Smith runs the ball 39 yards because Bo Perball is a threat to run the ball thirty yards, right. you have to respect and not only just respect it when Perball is in the game. You have to look for it. That's your focus, Bo Prabullah. When I really feel, you know, Tank Smith, Trey Potts have the longest runs for the running backs, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it happens when Bo Perball is in the it's game and point. it's a threat to run. Now, it's a great point. With that said. I still want to see uh, Drew Aller run the ball a few more times, even if it's just to present the threat that he will. And maybe these first six games, Dusty, have just been a setup for Ohio State. So, oh, we know Drew Aller's not going to pull it out of the running back's gut and run it. The running back always gets it. One of these games is going to happen, Dusty, and I'm going to say, "Uh uh-huh, I told you so.
2: You're you're sounding like the the Alex Jones of Penn State analysis right now. It's like I told you, the deep state holding bullet bullet back. You all red shirtless. <laughs> um, I don't even know where I was going that, but but yeah, I, I I think you know there there's still stuff being held back. I, I I think ultimately, like you know, Drew Aller can have a little success o- on the ground, but I think the film and the way that he moves, it kind of reveals like, okay, let's just say for a second that we all dive on the running back and we make a mistake and Drew Aller keeps it. What's he going for? Nine, 10 yards. I mean, there's not, I don't think there's a lot of fear in being gashed by Drew Aller and it's hard to make up for that.
1: You scoff my friend, but, but what you didn't say is in addition to that is if Drew Aller does that a couple of times, First of all, for nine or 10 yards, I will take it. But then once they have to start respecting it, Dusty, that's when you'll see things pop open for Nick Singleton.
2: And I guess my point is they don't have to respect it as much, even if it's Bo Prabola. Sean Clifford, you'd have to respect that. I think Trace McSorley, you had to respect that. You know, you had to respect that on the zone read, that he could do some real, real damage uh, in that situation. And... You know, like, I, I just think there's not a lot of belief from coordinators. And I could be wrong that, that, you know, the worst case scenario with Drew Aller is all that bad.
1: Well, a- anyway, you're, you're probably right, Dusty, but I'm not going to let it go. And one of these days, Drew Aller is going to run, uh, you know, have a big run and I'll be saying, I told you so for the next month.
2: It, and it, it, ha- like, it, it helps everything if he's able to post to, and I'm not saying it's worthless for him to take, that type of yardage. I just think like defensively, the philosophy is not, okay, we really have to guard against the quarterback run here. I think that's just kind of the, but you you do make a good point in terms of like Bo Perbola is like, you can have a lot of smoke and mirror coming out there and you, you know, that Bo is a real threat. And I think he's got the speed and quickness to even make a big run happen against the Ohio States and Michigans of the world. So there is that. But I think the respect level changes uh, for, for the threat of the quarterback run. And if he's in there for a package where Nick Singleton and Ktron Allen are there, it would be a favorable situation for those running backs, just like it was for Trey Potts and for Tank Smith.
1: It will it will be interesting to see if we ever do get that, Dusty. And let's go back to um, the defense just, just for a moment, because even though we talked about it at the start, we never talk about – enough and it's elite status and every week it's someone new now the DNs they had big games so you heard the big names Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac but we didn't hear Abdul Carter's name very much did we or even Curtis Jacobs now that I think about it we already said about Johnny Dixon and Kalen King that's okay though because you start hearing the other names and remember it was just you know, last game I thought was a coming out party for Kobe King.
2: Yeah. You can't hear all the names all the time, I guess is the thing. Uh, This was not really a linebacker game so much. And I always had with, with the linebackers, I kind of hesitate to judge their performance based on, you know, splashy plays or based on tackles because they're, you know their their assignment might not necessarily be to get the ball carrier to the ground on certain plays it's to defend uh in whether it's in the passing game or or to you know to kind of mind a gap so i I hesitate with that, but yeah, I think that the defensive ends were making so much damage happen in the first one and a half seconds of a play. Uh, that the ball was kind of desperately going somewhere. The quarterback was either going down or the ball was desperately going somewhere a lot faster than anybody wanted. It doesn't really lend itself to Curtis Jacobs making a lot of plays or Abdul Carter making a lot of plays, I think. And UMass, uh, I don't even know how many times they they ran it, but uh, 14 for 31 yards for, for K-Ron Adams, who, you know he had like 600 yards or something in the first uh seven games they played so it didn't set up for a good linebacker game because the defensive ends were hogging all the plays <laughs>
1: well at one point they flashed the a statistic on the uh, tv that out of i got to do my math 27 out of 38 plays 27 of them were either negative or for zero yards which meant there were only 11 plays out of 38 that even got positive yardage. And some of the statistics, and I have the drive chart where, you know, Delaware, Delaware, Massachusetts' best drive was their final drive, which they ended on downs where they had, you know, 13 plays for 48 yards. No other drive did they have more than six plays. Six dusty, yeah, and one, two, three, four, five, six, three and outs, yeah. That's just and total domination.
2: Three, three drives with negative yardage, uh, a bunch more drives with single digit yards. I mean, the and and this is like sometimes like you you want to try to quantify like what an offensive line and defensive line mean, and there are easy ways to do that with in terms of sacks and what you can get going, but when it comes down to it when you have a large advantage on either either one uh, line or, or both lines as Penn state did in this game, what it ends up feeling like is that uh, you never have enough time. You never have enough bodies, you know, like it just, it just shrinks the game. Like it, it just shrinks all your opportunities and, it just feels like a it's a helpless feeling, and Penn State has been on the receiving end of that sometimes. So they were on the giving end against UMass, as you as you would expect. But it's still not something you can take for granted. Like I think that performance on both sides, uh, even again, even in, in games where Penn State has blown somebody out, you you leave there thinking, oh, "I wish they would have done a little bit been a little bit more dominant." I don't think you can say that after UMass.
1: No, and that's what. You expect to win this game. There's no way they were going to lose this game, and it was going to be a big number. But 63 to nothing, you exceeded expectations on offense with the 60-some points. And I think you, you do not expect to go into a game expecting a shutout, but that's what you got. All right, that's it for quarter three, Dusty. Quarter four, we're going to do our Ohio State look ahead. Stay tuned for that.
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show for quarter number four. He's Dustin, I'm Jim. We're putting UMass behind us, Dusty. That one's done. It's now Ohio State week. It's time to talk about the buck guys. It is time to look forward. And I you send me notes every week, and I want to read one of your notes for Penn State Ohio State. And by the way, you put this in a form of a question. And it was best chance on paper for a Penn State team to beat Ohio State under Franklin?
2: Question mark. Question mark. Answer. I mean, yes, you know that even better than 2016. You know the 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 differences, of course, are going on the road. You know you beat Ohio State at home. You needed that home field for for that. I, I don't I don't think the same script unfolds if you're in Columbus for that. Um, you're looking at a, an Ohio State team that you know uh, the the things that you think are a given, right? For Ohio State is they're going to score a billion points. They're going to have an NFL prospect at quarterback. They're going to have a Heisman contender uh, at quarterback. Obviously what they're doing right now with the wide receivers is borderline unprecedented in modern college football. Like the, the playmakers at Ohio state has is ridiculous at, at wide receiver, Marvin Harrison, uh, junior uh, Agbuka, is another one. So they're there. The formula, you know, it deviates a little bit because this is a group that is barely within the top 100 and rushing offense. I think they haven't quite found the formula as they're dealing with some injury and stuff there. And I don't think Kyle McCord has shown that he's CJ Stroud or even, you know, Dwayne Haskins or Cardell Like he, he hasn't delivered yet, but I mean, I think that's, you know, being a young quarterback and a new starter like that doesn't happen right away. But I think Penn State has the better quarterback, the, certainly the better young quarterback of the two, in Drew Aller. You could finally point
1: to places where Ohio, or, I'm sorry, Penn State is better than Ohio State quarterback. Maybe it's close, but it feels like Drew Aller is the better player, um, especially with Ohio State's running backs beat up. You think. Penn State has the better running backs at wide receiver. Yes, it's Ohio state, but they even have, I think Abuka missed last week's game. I don't know what his status is for next week. I don't know what the injury is.
2: We probably won't know until kickoff or, or the two other availability two hours prior.
1: Right. Yeah. So we, we don't know about that. So there's was um, that situation. And I think, it's pretty straightforward to say Penn State has the better defense and maybe at all three levels. So talent-wise, you mentioned the 2016 game. That was an upset. Ohio State had the better talent that time. Who has the better talent come Saturday?
2: Well, I mean, Ohio State, it's hard to beat their overall roster talent Ever, but I think what Penn State has is this crossroads of, you know, guys who are experienced and who ha- who who play the right niche, and you've got, you know, the 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 top four corners for Penn State are competitive as we talked about earlier with with anybody in the country, and so when you pair those those three or four, you know, yeah, the corners are going to be you know not favored to win the one on one matchups uh, against Ohio State, but the pass rush has been incredible. And I think, you know, Isaac Robinson, the nine, and Sutton, Abdul Carter, you know, all those guys are all going to be playing on Sunday. So these are definitely NFL caliber athletes that I think can win matchups against Ohio state too. So if you have, you know, like, yeah, okay. The, the Ohio state wide receivers are more talented than Penn state's cornerbacks. I, but you know, how does that all fit together? If, if, you know, Kyle McCord cannot get a lot of clean looks too. So that's really the kind of the thing there. And I think Penn state's defense, they have been looking forward to this opportunity to show how elite they really are. And I'm excited to see, you know, the answer to that question, because I feel like they can deliver an elite performance against this Ohio state team. Like if you look back, I'm sure Ohio state has grown uh, and gotten better since Notre Dame, for example, And they did that. They they were on the road for that game, but they they scored seventeen points in that one. They scored twenty three points on the road against Indiana. You know this is. I I don't think this is an offense that you can take it to the bank that they're going to score thirty plus because I don't think they're going to in this game. So I think Penn State's defense has a chance to have a lot of success in this one.
1: The other part to this, Dusty, is the intangible of you point out that Ohio state has won 10 out of the last 11 games between the two of them. And many of them, Penn state has had the lead and a substantial lead late in the game, going into the fourth quarter, double digit lead and somehow Ohio state wins. Even last season, I felt like Penn state might've been the better team for three quarters of that game. Unfortunately, they do play a fourth quarter (laughs) <laughs> I, and And I believe in those things. I think you know Ohio State just thinks they are going to win. Why? Because they always do. Yeah, how do you break that cycle, and is this Penn State team just so talented that they will be capable to break that streak?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you break that cycle from having guys who, who believe. And, you know, I think at this point, having lost the big 10 and having lost to Michigan two years in a row, the Ohio state mystique isn't right now where it was for any of those games before, you know, and you play against that mystique, you play against that swagger, you play against that, you know, the, everybody on the field knows that Ohio state is more talented than you. I don't think Penn State walks onto that field with that belief this year. So that's one part of it. And I don't think Ohio State quite commands the same level of respect right now. Would you agree with, like, I, I think, you know, they, they have gone from this invincible-looking Big Ten juggernaut to a team that's looking to get back in the rivalry series with Michigan. And I think that trickles down in games like this. Like, I don't think Penn state has any fear at all in this game. And I think with, with this group, especially with the new quarterback and, you know, you got guys like chop Robinson who, who who have come in and some, like a lot of young guys who play key roles who haven't been part of a lot of those Games, You know what I mean? They haven't been part of you know, multiple games that have slipped away from Penn State. So I think the, the vibe on Penn State's roster is different. Like, I don't think they're going to be shell-shocked in the fourth quarter. Like, I, I, just, I just don't think that. I don't, I don't see it, but it's the big variable, I think, in this game.
1: I think it is, too. But one of the things that I found interesting was, I, and just earlier today before we came on the air, I was reading online an article from a Buckeye site. Okay. One of those kind of sites that will always find why their team is going to win. And maybe people could accuse us of that same thing, Dusty, but it was one of those kind of articles I'm sure I'm going to read. And I start to read it. The gist of the article was Can the Buckeyes beat this Penn State team? (laughs) Yeah. And the answer was We don't think so, or we're not sure of that. It was really fascinating. To me to actually see that kind of article and you wonder if that does you know trickle through and this Penn State defense especially has the confidence and I believe it to definitely be the case they will be the best unit of the four out there on the field
2: and and I think they I think they need to play that way you know, I, I think Penn State's defense needs to play that way. And and why would you expect anything less? I get that, you know, Ohio State's offensive linemen are maybe the best offensive linemen they'll see. The wide receivers are, are the best wide receivers. Uh, but you know what? I mean, the this is a, a group. And I I did a podcast with our, another good friend of ours, Ross Tucker, um, last week uh, talking about this Penn State team and, you know, basically just looking at this defense and saying, okay, Adiza Isaac, Chop Robinson, Kalen King, deny Dennis Sutton, Abdul Carter, probably one or two of the other defensive backs, maybe Curtis Jacobs. You're looking at like at least a half dozen guys on this Penn State defense who are probably third round NFL draft picks or better. You know, that's an Ohio State caliber uh, depth of talent on defense. And it just happens to be. You know, guys who can rush the quarterback at a high level and guys who, who can cover at a high level. So I think this group is definitely talented enough to get that job done against Ohio State. Definitely has the swagger and aggression and they're definitely coached in a way that they can be a dominant unit in this game too. And I and I really the, the further we go, the more I, I don't just think that they can. I I expect it on Saturday.
1: We know what the defenses about this Penn State defense and how they're gonna play. My question to you is, how does the Penn State offense approach this? What is their game plan? And Dusty, do not run out the clock because before we're finished, I need a prediction from you. So go ahead.
2: Uh, I, I think the the personality of the defense or the offense is going to be more or less what we see here. I think um, Drew Aller is going to be given opportunity to take Uh, you know, maybe some more shots and look down the field a little bit more. Every time you've seen Penn state play against a defense that is more on the aggressive side, that's West Virginia and UMass, you've seen drew Aller open it up a little bit more. Ohio state's going to give looks that allow drew Aller. That's going to make sense to take more shots in in this game. Uh, I think they're going to, they're, they're going to, battle around that running game because why would you not you know katron allen and nick singleton i think are are weapons in this game they've got probably the two best running backs if trevion henderson doesn't suit up they've got probably the two best running backs they're going to lean on that too so a lot of the stuff that we've already seen they're going to go they're going to keep going with that i think Um, maybe with with opening the playbook a little bit more, having some gadgets or having a Bo Bolo series, I think you're going to see some wrinkles because they've been saving all those wrinkles, but I think more or less what you see is what you get from this Penn State offense.
1: Dusty, I think the, the wrinkles a little bit will be, they'll just go a little bit away from tendency where we've been seeing so much on first down. It's a give to the running backs. We might see nothing crazy going downfield. But maybe it's a quick wide receiver screen. Maybe a little more likely to throw the ball on first down. I think we'll just see a few things away from tendency. All right. As of today, when I'm looking at the spread, Dusty, Ohio State is a four and a half point favorite at home. Need your prediction.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm going with Penn State winning it outright. I've been back and forth about this. Uh, before the season began, I picked Ohio State to win. I thought uh, Penn State would split against Michigan and Ohio State and beat Michigan at home. I'm going to pick Penn State. To win. I think they've been a better team. Uh, at the, you know They're on the road and all that. I'm going to go with um, 24-21 Penn State. I think defense is going to be the controlling force in this game, but I think, uh, I think there's going to be a short field opportunity. I think the defense is going to set the stage for the offense, uh, for Penn State to, to score the winning points there. I think they get it done.
1: Very good, Dusty. He has the Nittany Lions upsetting the Buckeyes 24 to 21 as a four and a half point underdog. Very good, Dusty. That is it. A week from today, we will talk all about it. I will either be ecstatic or heartbroken. You know that will be the case. That is it, though, for this edition of our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
2: Hey, Penn State fans. Here is your chance to take something off your bucket list. That's right. Go PSU RV is offering a full range of RV setups ready for a weekend of great tailgating at their Lion's Den which is the closest single-game RV overnight lot to Beaver Stadium. You can arrive anytime Friday afternoon. Stay until Sunday morning, avoiding all that traffic. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Go online to gopsurv.com and reserve your RV today.
3: Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub Set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, But our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs,
1: and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.